I think chemistry matters in fundraising, actually, as you get further down the process. Also spend time to, like, understand what this person would be like on the journey with you. Right. And so that's, like, calling other founders that they've backed, not just the ones who went well, but also the ones who went badly, and getting a sense of what it was like to work with that person. Because I think that's ultimately... You don't want to be like three years into the journey and you like hate the investor on your board. Like, yeah, it doesn't do anyone any good. Welcome to Brave. Learn from Southeast Asia's best tech leaders. Build the future, learn from our past, and stay human in between. No BS on success. I'm Jeremy Al, venture capitalist, serial founder, Harvard MBA, science fiction nerd and dad of two daughters. Every week, we debate startup news, interview changemakers, answer listener questions, and share personal insights. Join our movement of over 20,000 members and get transcripts, resources, and community at www.braveseha.com. Nodeflare is a trusted recruiting partner for startups looking to scale their technology teams. They have a curated pipeline of talent from data scientists to full-stack engineers. Learn about the latest salary trends and benchmark compensation across the region. Nodeflare offers more than 10,000 verified salary data points completely free to employers. Check out www.nodeflare.com today. Hey, morning, Cheyenne, or good evening for you since you're in the US. Thanks for taking the time to do this call. Let's do it. I'm ready. So Jeff Lonsdale kind of like did a shout out. He said he enjoys our conversations. So shout out to you back there. <laughs> I think he's not going to tune in for this conversation though, because we're going to be talking about fundraising. And everyone's as since he's topic. a VC, everyone's favorite topic. And since he's a VC, he's probably like, oh, I don't need this one. So, but I think a lot of folks have asked, two separate founders have asked like, hey, I'm trying to answer and get answers to fundraising because I'm struggling, right? Mm. And I thought it was interesting because compared to when I was fundraising 10 years ago, there's so much information now, right? Like there's books, there's playbooks, there's audiobooks, right? There's, and then every VC is pumping out articles about what they're looking for or how to do the process better. So I thought it was a kind of interesting question where I was like scratching my head a little bit, which is like, you know, we are going to discuss what value... Uh, you and I are going to add to the, I don't know, ecosystem of, of thought leadership on how to fundraise. But I think it's a super fair question, right? Because they asked the question from us. So we should answer it, right? The best we can. And with the knowledge that there's Google and there's ChatGPT out there. So yeah, I guess the first question I have for you and for both of us is, the person asks is like, what would you advise founders to do to fundraise? I mean... We could talk about this for hours, right? <laughs> like I think there's a 10 hour podcast. No, no, no. But I, I think there's sort of two lines of inquiry we can go down, right? right. So one is like tactical. Like right. what should you tactically to run a good fundraise? And I think the second one is more like philosophical. How do you get your head in the right mindset to do the fundraise, right? So I think there's sort of two separate right. things to do there. And so maybe if we start high level and then go down to like brass tacks, I think at the high level, it's a sales process. So, you know, what are you selling? 
Yeah. And, and are you communicating that clearly? And is it believable? Right. Is right. it a story that kind of makes sense to people? And this doesn't come naturally to most people. So it's not like you kind of wake up one morning and you're like, Hey, this is why my thing is the greatest thing since sliced bread. And people are just like, Oh my God, take my money. And they just start throwing money at you. Right. That's just not <laughs> what happens. Okay. It, it isn't. And so it takes work and like a well, like, and, and so you have to think about like, who's on the other side of the table, like what's going on in their head. What are their incentives? What are their priorities? And how does the story that you're telling fit or not fit with kind of what they're looking for. Right. So I think that's like really important. And then the second thing is like, it's a relative game. It's not an absolute game. So you could think that you're the greatest thing since sliced bread, but you need to be the best thing that that person has seen relative to all their other opportunities. So you could have a great opportunity, but if it isn't better than the other things that they're looking at, they're still not going to give you money. And I think that's like a hard thing to comprehend at the beginning because obviously the reason you're working on your business is because you think it's the greatest thing. And you're not spending a lot of time thinking about other people's things. But if you're an investor and you know you have $10 million or $100 million, you still need to allocate to what you think is the rank order best things that you're seeing and across your portfolio and in that space. So if you've seen 10 social commerce things, is this the best social commerce thing? And even if it is the best social commerce thing, is it better than the logistics thing? Whatever it is, right? So I think you kind of have to frame it in that, you need to sort of think in that way. And I would say mm -hmm. that a lot of people write decks that don't, that are not compelling. They don't make someone say, I need to take this meeting. Right. And that's what you're competing against. You're competing against everyone else who's trying to convince someone to take a meeting. And so I, I think that's something to just sort of philosophically, like why should someone spend time learning more about your business? What yeah. is compelling about it that makes someone go, oh, wow, that's really interesting. I didn't know that. Right. Or I didn't think about it that way. That's right. a trend that I've never seen play out in this specific thing. Or this person has a really unique insight on this particular industry. And I would say that a lot of people don't do a great job of articulating that or giving people like a so what, like, why should I care? And that is just like a meta problem that cannot be fixed by good process. You can run the best process, but if you do like a terrible job articulating your story and giving people like a so what, you're not going to get meetings. Yeah. I think what you said that really resonated with me with the fact is that it's a relative dynamic, right? And I think the objective reality is that at the end of the day, building a startup is really, really hard, right? And failure is the most common state that's going to end up for most startups, right? No matter how good you are. I think the statistic that I've often used, right, is that in the US, if you receive a seed investment, only one out of 40 seed investments will actually ever make it to become a unicorn, right? And that's even after the successful fundraise, after they've matched. So is this a really, really hard okay. thing to build and so investors are not just judging, which they are relative, but also they are also judging the knowledge that they are going to be wrong, right? That they are most likely going to be wrong. And most of the companies that they eventually pick are going to be failures eventually as well. So there's an interesting gatekeeper and judgment angle that I think honestly makes it 
something that I didn't appreciate when I was a founder, but now that I'm a VC, I kind of see the other side of the table. There's a very strong gatekeeping of filtration or judging process that is actually not an easy dynamic, actually, right? And I think, like I said, I think it's a relative dynamic as a result at the end of the day, right? Like, if you see 40 companies, you're looking for the best one of the 40, right? And if you look out of 1,000, you're looking for the best number one or number two of that 1,000, right? Mm-hmm. But from the other side, from a founder perspective, it's like nobody wants to be one out of 1,000, right? <laughs> or the 39 out of 40, right? It just sucks, right? So I kind of get the frustration, but I don't know. It's just, I don't know, the duality of what you said, right? The relative competition versus the, the how hard the business is. And I don't know. Well, also just like not every business needs to raise money. Yeah, that's true. Just because you're not raising money doesn't mean you're a bad business. It might not be a venture backable business. And then yeah. also people don't like this. People don't like to be told this. But yeah, I think like the really great clarifying thing is what does it take to get to 100 million a year revenue business in seven years? So if you think the average life of a fund is 10 years, okay, can you imagine what it takes to go from zero today, let's say it's early stage, or maybe like a million dollars today, to 100 million in revenue? Oof. And what would you have to believe for that to be true? Yeah. And I think if you just sort of think about that, there's a reason why only one in 40 make it to unicorn status, because it's actually pretty hard. Yeah. Like it's not it's not an easy endeavor that people have signed up for, and if you don't think there's a a credible explanation for how you're going to get there, like if you can't come up with it yourself, it's pretty hard to expect a VC to come up with it. Yeah, that's the um, big assumption, right? Which is that in order for a fundraising tactic to work, it assumes that there is a credible, logical, I don't know objective, like you said, right, set of steps. There's, I don't know what's it, rigorous. I don't know what you would call it, but there is a path for you to get to the $100 million path, right? And I think if you have a product that doesn't work, right, and you just can't build it at the end of the day, or you're building for a problem that doesn't really exist as a problem, then, you know, no amount of fundraising tactics can help you get there, right? Exactly. And it's tough. Um... But it's tough, and, and, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I think that's that's like the that's that's the reality, right? And so, right. like, I think we need to try to exist in reality, and it's okay if your business isn't have that characteristics because lots of businesses don't, and they're perfectly fine businesses, but yeah. it just means that they need to raise money in a different way, right? Maybe there's so much other- money. Yeah, yeah, maybe angel it's angel money. money. So money yeah. Maybe it's bank financing. Maybe it's right. there's other ways to do it. But like, I think we can't like fool ourselves. Yeah. Ah, so, it's not personal. That's that's, well, yeah, that's but the big it, one. Everyone right? takes it personally because it's like if you don't want to fund their business, it's like telling them that their child is not cute, which you know is like highly offensive because obviously my children are the cutest yeah. people on earth. Right. So are mine. And we can both agree that your child is cutest to you and my child is the cutest to yeah, me. So we, yeah, we agree. Of, of course, of course. Right. So so I think that's like the sort of meta kind of problem you're like trying to wrap your head around. You're trying to basically right. like sell the dream. You're saying like, hey, this is why the future is going to look like this. And here's why I'm going to make the future look like this. 
And then there's the sort of tactical stuff, which we can talk about next, if you want. Jeremy. Yeah. I guess I still want to double click on that, right? Which is like how to avoid making it personal, right? I think the best founders that I've met kind of treat the fundraising conversation, not just obviously a pitch and sale, but also actually a little bit of a brainstorming session, right? Which is like it's a bit of a two-way learning cycle, right? And so they ask questions like, hey, what are the patterns that you see in this category, right? I'm trying to figure out whether I want to go direct sales or partner with the model. Like, how would I think about a problem? And obviously, I don't think it works for every VC, right? Not every VC has a lot of experience or operating experience. But I think I see like the best founders kind of have that. I don't know what's the word. It's not just a pitch, right? I don't know what you call it. It's a conversation. It's a conversation, right? And and it's like, hey, you know, like how how do we build it together to get there, right? A little bit more. I don't know. It feels like a if you can get someone, if somebody you can get someone to dream alongside you, that's usually a great sign, right? Because you're kind of firing up their imagination and they're getting excited about what it could be. Right. And that's like you can kind of imagine all the paths, right? So I guess an example I always give is like right. when I was an associate, my fund invested in Twitter. Right. And years later, I was asked about this investment when interviewing for a, a different investment job. And they asked me the question, well, how did you value it? And I was like, well, the company didn't have any revenue. It was the period of the fail whale. And to be honest, the, the valuation is determined by what is the least you could pay and still win the deal. <laughs> it's a supply and demand problem, basically, right? right? right and right. and so then the question is like, well, what's the demand for the deal? Like, what, what do people believe about it that they would bid on it? And, you know, on one hand, you can be like, who cares about what you ate for your breakfast or who, people are tweeting like random things, whatever it is. But you could imagine, like when you saw all that engagement, you could actually imagine all the different ways they could monetize it. They hadn't done anything yet, of course, right? But you could be like, oh, I could imagine a sponsored tweet. I could imagine a subscription. I could imagine like, basically you could imagine like 20 different ways that if you had this much user engagement and this much traffic, you could monetize it, right? Right. And people could imagine it. And so I think that's a little bit what you need people to do with you is like, it kind of clicks where you're like, oh, wow, if people are already doing this and the product is so janky, remember the fail right. <laughs> and there's And they're creating their own things along with it. Like they made up the hashtag, they made up the at sign, all these sorts of things. Like you could picture basically how it could grow. So I think firing up people's imagination is always like a great part of that conversation. Yeah. And I think the tone then is a little bit different, right? Because I think at the start, you say like, it's a sales process, which it is, right? I mean, you're meeting the, the mechanics of it is like, you got to talk to so many VCs, you got to sell them and pitches and so forth. But the outcome is is, is not a product, right? Because the, I don't know, the, the end of that thing is this VC joins you and joins your board, right? Works as a teammate, right? For the next two years, hopefully a good teammate, right? And for longer even, right? So... I don't know, there's a, I don't know, what's the word? There's some dissonance. Sometimes like like 
like some founders. No, but are I think so when you say when you say the word sales, I think you're thinking yeah. like it's not like you're standing at the side of the road and being like, "Hey, sunglasses, ninety nine cents." Like <laughs> <laughs> always but, be closing ABC, you know. No, no, but like, but what is sales? Right, sales is like there's a process. Like there's leads. Yeah. There's a yeah. there's a there's understanding the customers potential desires there's explaining why your product meets their need there's a close like there's there's a process that doesn't it's not like a magical thing like it's well categorized so that's what i mean by it's sales right yeah but the best sales right like think about apple the best sales are when you're like you thought it was your own idea that you wanted the new iphone they like incepted the thought in your head right and and so like I think that's part of this conversation and this sort of making people feel like, yeah, like I'm really excited about this. I I can totally say why this makes sense. Oh, like this is why customers are using it or this is the value they're getting Um, out of it. Wow, I had no idea. Or wow, this founder is like incredibly impressive. Right. They talked to a hundred customers. They did X, Y, Z thing. They convinced a really senior person from a different, a much more established company to come join them, right? Like, that's all part of the sales process. That's all part of the, like, what pieces of evidence is this person giving me that they have a higher probability of success than another? Right. Um, And what's interesting is, yeah, you made me reflect that I was reacting to what sales in terms of salesy. But I think you're describing more of terms of like the process, the, the the mindset, right, of sales. I think I've definitely heard horror stories of founders who kind of like kind of like mix up those two, right? From my perspective, I think I just heard one recently where a very highly reputable fund, and then the founder said, "Well, I've never heard of your fund, and this is the opportunity for you to buy me, right?" And that came across like a pile of bricks, right? Like it was like neither here nor there or anywhere. And then there's a bunch of like, what's the word? It's like too much bravado, Apologies, right? Yeah. Bravado. I think bravado, right? We just, I don't think we're trying to say, yeah, I think, yeah, I think, yeah, I think bravado is the word, right? And I think you need to be brave and you need to be courageous and you need to be factual about the business. I don't know. I think people just, you know, people really want to channel their inner Adam Newman, Elizabeth Holmes. I don't know what's the word. Like, I don't think you know, those like should Steve be Steve Jobs at reality that, that, distortion that, fields. No, right? no, no. I, I don't think yeah. that that should be people. Like, I, I those yeah. people are not in my pantheon of heroes. I would say. Um, I mean, I don't think it's for most people, but I think, but I think there's a real respect that people have, and they've told me it's like, how can they raise so much money, and why am I not raising so much money? What they must be doing something magical. What? What about their body language or whatever it is? And, and, and I don't know what's the word. There's a bit of a mystique, right? I mean, they watch the shows, right? We Crashed, right? Bad Blood. Yeah, but that's like yeah. like 1% of people. That's not what yeah. most people do. Right. Like, like, I mean, the reality is like, wait, like when you raise your first round of money, where is it coming from? It's like friends and family. Why? Because they're like, yeah. Jeremy, I don't know what you're doing, but you're pretty honest. You're kind of smart. Like, you're going to try hard. Like, that's that's that first rung of belief, right? It's like, I know you. Yeah. I trust you. Like, yeah. 
I'm supporting you. Right. And then the next I'm rung sorry. is like, hey, I did something. <laughs> I yeah. made some progress and I need more money to go make more progress. And you kind of have to go outside your initial circle of people who like know and trust you and build that same thing, right? You want right. people to have that feeling, which is like, hey, I trust you're going to make reasonable decisions. I trust this is like right. a good problem for you to solve. And there's customers that want to pay you to solve this for them. Right. Um, and that's like, that's what you're trying to convince people of. And so like, I don't think it's that, like we make it more complicated than it has to be, right? Which is like, right. think if your friend came and sold you something, what yeah. what's your decision-making process? Like part of it is like, do I trust this guy? Do they yeah, have 100%. a track record of delivery? 100%. And do I think this is like a good business? That's literally what's happening on the other side, right? It's just that yeah. that person's job is that they look at like a thousand businesses a year. So they just have a bigger mental catalog of businesses than, you know, your buddy who right. is writing you a check because they trust you. Right. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I think that's it. I, I agree. I think it's that ladder of trust, right? It's that one step at a time, right? And I think... I don't know what's the word. I think Hollywood makes it look easy, right? They make That's it why it's Hollywood. Easy. It's fiction. <laughs> it's, 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 it's highly educational shit yet. How, could, how dare you? <laughs> yeah, but, but it's like everything is like, I mean, my kids have this book. It's called Someone Had to Build the Dream. Aww. And it's basically a book what? about how like everything in the world that you see, somebody yeah. worked really hard to make it. Yeah. Like it didn't just, nothing happened out of thin air, right? Like, Oh, you see right. that cool fountain? Oh, I mean, someone dug the trench that had the pipe that brought the water there, like all that sort of stuff. And this stuff is all hard. Like none of it is easy. And I don't think yeah. we should expect it to be. But but some of it is straightforward, right? Mm -hmm. Which is this sort of like, what do I think is believable? Like we're all humans. We kind of know what's believable, right? Because if someone right. pitched us, we would also ask questions of them we wouldn't sort of take everything at face value and be like yeah yeah of course sounds great here's a check um <laughs> here's a check sorry sorry that's so funny yeah but like it, it all it all takes it all takes work and then i think part of this notion of sales is like it's pretty hard to turn no's into yeses so i yeah. wouldn't expend a ton of energy on that i would just go get more leads yeah and i think the other thing about the early stage is like there's a lot of variance in people's beliefs right. and there's a high element of personal taste. And so it's like, if you go and look at the last 100 venture backed IPOs, there's not that much overlap in the pre-seed or angels. Right. Like you'll see name brand funds in the B and the C. Right. But not in the pre-seed and the seed because there's so right. much variance. So, just because someone says no doesn't mean that it's a bad idea necessarily. It's just that it didn't fit their thesis. It's not the idea for them. Yeah. They didn't like you. Like, yeah. I mean, there's so many things that can be happening, right? And so I think you have to kind of take that into account. Yeah. I think what's interesting is that you're talking about something which is hard to take into account, right? What other facts do you think founders don't take into account? Pieces are wrong a lot. It's just the math of it, right? 
Yeah. They're like doing the best they can with the limited information they have. And they're going to be wrong a lot. And at the end of the day, like bigger business better than anyone. And so you can't take that as an indictment necessarily of what you're doing, but you should make a backup plan. Hmm. And maybe it won't grow as fast in the early days because you're still figuring it out. It's like people were like, I've spent two years on this idea. I just need to raise a million bucks and then I can build it. And you're like, well, what have you been doing for two years? That can't be the thing because it's like you're in a chicken and an egg. Nobody believes you because you haven't built anything. And you're saying you can't build anything until someone believes you. It's like, well, you got to come up with a different plan, right? Right. It's not going to happen that way for you. But I think you're right. People see movies or they hear stories of people who are like, oh, they sneezed and suddenly $5 million landed in their lab. And that's just not actually what happens to most people. Most people have a really hard time. Yeah. It's always hard. It's hard to raise money. And like, look, like we raised a fund. It's hard to raise a fund. (laughs) We we also have to like pitch lots of people because we have to convince them. It's like, hey, like trust us. We're going to help you make money. You know, like it's the same kind of ladder of belief thing. Right. And some people are like, who are you? You're a first time fund manager. Why should I give you any money? I don't believe your strategy. And other people are like, oh, this strategy is interesting. Okay. Yeah. I'll take a bet. So. I think one interesting aspect about that is the VC can be wrong, but it's so, I don't know what's the word. I think there's also a power hierarchy, right? And so sometimes when the VC says what it is, it comes across as more, I don't know what's the word, authoritative, dictatorial. I don't know what's the word. It's like unwelcome advice, right? I don't know. So I think there's something a bit I've been navigating as well, which is I think I have to be big fat caveat sticker, which is like, yeah, I could be wrong. This is my point of view. Feel free to triangulate the advice of other people. Yeah, you know, for sure. You know, but but you can come across. I feel like negative, I say that. Right? You know, I feel I say that a lot that? to people. I say, hey, yeah, we're going to be a pass. Here's why. Yeah, but we're often wrong, and we know it's really early. Yeah. Best yeah. of luck. Yeah. Because I think anybody who's taking the step to start a business, I salute you. Well, I think at a start you mentioned also there's also tactical advice, right, to be thinking about. So. Why don't we do like make this a game? Why don't we kind of like take turns okay. uh, and just give technical advice? Short ones. I don't know. Was it tweets? I know tweets can go really long these days, thanks to Elon Musk. But you know the old tweets, you know, like those short ones. I never go right. Okay, I'll go first. Is uh, create a list of rich VCs, target VCs, and safety VCs the same way you apply to college, and make sure you have that whole list lined up before you go talking to everybody. Because you want to kind of reach out to them with a certain sequence in mind. And you don't want to end up in a spot where you're like waiting on a term sheet from someone that you already like and know that you don't really want to have. But you're trying desperately to go and get a term sheet from a dream VC, right? I think the sequence and the listing is quite important. Okay, that's one. Okay, how about you, Shane? I would agree with that one. And then spend time actually writing a good blurb that can be forwarded by your investors to other investors or people that are making intros for you. Right. So basically, yeah. you made your list that Jeremy said, review it with your existing investors or friendlies 
and they can give you advice like, hey, this is not a good person to target because this is totally out of their stage or they don't have money left in this fund or they have a competitive investment, right? Like, so do that. But then they'll then ask them to tick who can they introduce you to and then give them a blurb that's like, hi, Joe's Fish Shack sells the best fish sandwiches on the coast. They have revenue of blah, 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 blah. They have a core innovation in fish processing, whatever it is. And they don't have to do any work. They just copy and paste that blurb and they can forward it to the people and be like, do you want a meeting? Right? So make the blurb has to be hot. The blurb has to be like, yes, I want to take this meeting. The yeah. teaser deck that you send in the blurb, there should be a money slide. Like when you hit the slide and you're like, oh yeah, I want to take this meeting. And I feel like a lot of people don't spend a lot of time on this. Either the blurb is like way too long. So it's like you're reading, you're reading, you're like, why should I take this meeting? Or the slide has nothing compelling in it. And you're like, again, why should I take this meeting? So actually spend some time drafting the blurb and the teaser deck with the goal of, I want to get someone to take this meeting. You can go into longer explanations once you're in the meeting, but to get the meeting, there needs to be a hook to begin with. 100% about that good blurb. I think deck storyline, like you have to cover the fundamentals for the deck. You got to prepare that stuff in advance, which is like, what's your revenue and traction? What's your team? What's your market problem? What the solution is? How much you're looking to fundraise? Like all that stuff. I think it's honestly, I think some people go crazy and they go like do 30 or 50 slides. But I think it's just like, get those 10 slides really, really clear and crisp. And it doesn't need to be the world's best designer or something like that. I think sometimes people really focus on the design. Mm. But it's like, what are those 10 slides? Really nail those 10 slides. Make it very clear. Obviously, it has the dream that you mentioned earlier. Run it by friends. Run it by founders. Run it by your existing investors. Uh, run it by your angels. But really get feedback on those 10 slides and get it. Because, I don't know, you can't really... Once you go fundraising with those slides, it's it's a hassle to start editing them and changing them and all this other stuff. And once you mess up your first impression or second impression, it's hard to come back with the updated deck, right? Straight away. Yeah. So I might push back a little on this, which is like, yeah. I agree with you. You need to like put some effort into your slides. But right. I actually think editing is okay because every meeting that you take, right. you're going to get some feedback on what wasn't clear. And so you can continue to amend those things as True. you kind of get into the swing of telling the story. Because basically True. the story is like totally clear in your head, but right. not to other people, right? And so as you're in the meeting motion, you can be like, oh, I see that our go-to-market slide is not super clear. Like people keep getting right. confused here. Okay, well, why don't I like clean that up a little bit before I go to the next round of meetings? Right. No, 100%. And I agree with you. I think it's just that I've seen if it's really too far out, then you start burning bridges with your safety VC, right? So you actually want to kind of get it to a certain bar, right? Where at least you've done the practice beforehand. Oh, another tip is uh, make sure you know who's in charge of CEO. I've seen a lot of co-CEOs for some reason, but please don't have a co-CEO or like have very fuzzy team at roles and responsibilities. I think that's often understandable. Obviously, you're your pre-product market fit, your early in your teaming. But as much as possible, like if you can't agree on who's CEO, maybe just leave it out entirely <laughs> and acknowledge that. But I think it can be quite a yellow flag, right? Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. So, and okay, don't lie. This maybe sounds really obvious, 
but you'd be shocked at how many people kind of lie. Like there'll be people on a customer slide. Okay. Now, if you say you have some big brand name as your customer, I'll be like, wow. And then I will text my friend who is a senior person at that company and ask, is it true? Do you have a contract with this startup? And more often than not, they're like, we've talked to them, but we haven't signed anything. Yeah. Don't lie. (laughs) Be upfront. Because if you lie, that like breaks trust immediately, right? And the whole goal of this exercise is to build enough trust with someone so they're going to write you a check. And so don't shoot yourself in the foot. Don't lie. Similarly, don't say stuff like, we have a term sheet from XYZ VC when you don't. Because it's a pretty small community and people will check. Right. So I know people want to put pressure. They're trying to run a process, but don't lie. Yeah. I'll say another one is, yeah, assume every logo that you put up there will be checked or can be checked, right? By, I don't know, all the VCs out there. Each individual VC wouldn't check all the logos, but in aggregate, any logo that you put out there is going to get checked by the 20 VCs as a group. Yeah. Here's one. It's okay to say, I don't know. Let's say someone asks you a question. It's okay to say, I don't know, because, you know, it's early and you're not going to know all the answers in the business. I would rather someone said, I don't know yet, but here's like how I plan to answer that question. Right. Versus kind of bluster and make up some answer because the reality of startups is like, you just don't know a lot of stuff. Right. And it's more important that you have a plan to learn how to know than that you pretend that you know everything. That reminds me of like when you're fundraising, the last slide is about ask, right? And a lot of people say like, okay, we're going to spend $2 million on these things, right? And I think the better way to do it is like, hey, we're going to spend these $2 million to prove these things, right? Because, yes, you know, exactly. this is the experiment, right? This is the hypothesis that we have. And this is ladder that we talked about to get to $100 million of revenue within seven years. And so we need these three things to be true, right? And, and I believe it's true today. And I'm going to prove that it's true in the next two, two years with this amount of money. So it's less about the number of engineers or the sales, because I think that's how they think about the use of money, but more like what's the use of the money to prove that What are the milestones? What are the milestones exactly. associated with the raise? I ask this question right. all the time and people are like, well, I'm going to spend X, Y, Z dollars. I was like, no, 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 that's great. But what are you going to do with all those people? What are they going to prove right. to us? What are the milestones? Right? And it's like, right. okay, well, the key thing to prove in our fish processing technology is that we can get it to last 180 days in a warehouse and still right. taste just as delicious. So we're going to prove that because we're going to export to China. We're going to sign three distribution agreements, whatever it is. That's the key to the distribution. And we're going to start R&D on crab processing, new product line, whatever it is. But uh, yeah, I totally agree. Having milestones is super, super useful. I think one would be don't be too salesy <laughs> and this may be more like if you come from some professional services like consultants, I went through the experience, right? When I was a consultant, becoming a founder, I was too glib, right? Too, too fast for the answer, see if that makes sense, right? It's like as if everything's easy, everything is like going to be like smooth and you're like, no, like startups going to be hard, right? And so like, let's talk about what the real, acknowledge the, the reality of 
what's actually tough, right? If it's easy, you can say it's easy, but not everything can be easy. Otherwise, it's not a startup, right? There's something hard. So be frank and honest about what's hard, actually hard, and then not, don't be afraid to show that. Because you're not saying that you solved it yet. I think that's what consultants often are trained, right? It's like everything's solved, everything's done. That's not really how founders, no, that's not the right mindset, I think, for a builder. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, I'm with you there. Um, uh, last one from you. I think chemistry matters in fundraising, actually. So, like, right, you can get be really focused on raising the money because that's what you your business needs. But I would really like, as you get further down the process, also spend time to like understand what this person would be like on the journey with you right and so that's like calling other founders that they've backed not just the ones who went well but also the ones who went badly and getting a sense of what it was like to work with that person because i think that's ultimately you don't want to be like three years into the journey and you like hate the investor on your board like yeah it doesn't do anyone any good yeah that's true well, on that note, thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, see you next week. Go raise all the money. Get your bags. <laughs> Crush it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for listening to Brave. If you enjoyed this episode, please share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. We would also appreciate you leaving a rating or review. Head over to www.bravesea.com for member content, resources, and community. Stay well and stay brave.